Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul. BlakeRadio.com. Jennifer Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels on the Blog Talk Radio. Okay, today is Tuesday, November 25th, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Today's topic is, when a house is not a home. Yep, you heard it. When a house is not a home. There's an old tune that says, a house is not a home when no one's there. And what I'm going to talk about today is how houses have transformed from a place that gives people joy, health, and income to an albatross of crushing debt, sickness, and grief. And today I'm going to talk about the things that could happen in a home and that used to happen in a home. And we're going to talk about how to turn your house into a home. First of all, I'd like to uh, let people know that we have a chat room going. It's healingwithdrdaniels.jentango.com. And we have a call number for questions, which is 914-338-0695. It's also the listen line. We usually take uh, questions a little more than halfway through. So, when is a house not a home? Well, first of all, if you just go to the lyrics of the uh, song, which is a song by, in case you want to look it up, Luther Vandross, and also um, under the name of uh, One Less Egg to Fry, and uh, both say, house is not a home when no one's there. And certainly that is the case with our modern-day homes. The husband has been banished to a job, the wife and mother have been banished to a job, and the children have been banished to an institution called school. And so literally, you have an empty house. And nothing much can happen in an empty house. I know, there are some of you who set the bread machine to cook, 
and you set the oven to cut on and off, and maybe a little bit of action happens in your absence. But it's almost impossible. Now, I got the um, idea of this show when I was talking to a client that I recommended what I thought was a reasonable lifestyle change, and the person said, oh, I could never do that. I have a 45-minute commute to work. Then it hit me. People cannot heal because they have houses, not homes. They're not home long enough for the house to heal them. That's when I realized that a home is a house that heals, that feeds the person, clothes the person, even finances them. And so today I'm going to look at uh, really what a house could do and suggest ways, uh, again, to make your house into a home again. So let's just um, talk about some things that used to routinely happen at home. And we'll talk about why it might be advantageous to have that happen again. All right, so let's take a look. First thing is conception. Conception. Simply getting pregnant. Now, that sounds outrageous, but people used to get pregnant at home. Yeah. Maybe in the driveway in the back of some car or something, but pretty close to home, at home. Now, what do people do? Well, there's the infertility clinic. You know, you go there and the doctor does this and the doctor does that, totally invades her body and maybe even his body before the whole thing's over with. And an incredible financial expense. We're talking between 50000 and 100000 per live birth. Actually, probably more than that per live birth. And it can easily top 200000 if you're trying to have a family. So conception is something that used to have happen at home and something that definitely, if it returned to the house, would save people tremendous, tremendous amounts of money in grief, nothing of quality of life, and even health. Um, those in, infertility evaluations and invasive tests are not uh, risk-free. They do have risk with them. So conceiving at home. How do you conceive at home? Answer, you have to get started earlier. You cannot start conceiving at, um, at age 40 and make it a home affair. I mean, you could, but it's better to start early. Now, the other thing about conception, which has come to light, is that many vaccines are laced with um, HCG, that's pregnancy hormone, um, antigen, which gets the woman's body, the little girl's body, to make antibodies against HCG and makes the woman sterile. So which vaccines have been laced with this uh, sterility-causing substance? Um, certainly the Giardicil vaccine has been one that has been cited as causing sterility. Um, and certainly overseas, they haven't tested domestic vaccines, but vaccines used overseas, the um, basic childhood series, um, in certain countries have been found to be laced with HCG. So, conceiving at home, big deal. Next is giving birth at home. I know. You guys have heard me talk about this before. There's those of you who are saying, oh, I can never do it. Oh my God. Put my baby's life in danger. Maybe even my own. I know what you mean. I was taught that in medical school and I used to believe it. But get this. And this is from CDC.gov, Reproductive Health, Maternal Infant Health. 
pregnancy complications.htm. What do they say? Severe maternal morbidity in the United States. Maternal morbidity, that means mother being seriously damaged, includes physical and psychological conditions that result from or are aggravated by pregnancy and have an adverse effect on a woman's health. The most severe complications of pregnancy, generally referred to as severe maternal morbidity, affect more than 50,000 women in the United States every year. Based on recent trends, this has been steadily increasing. Get that. And so has prenatal care, by the way. So prenatal care has not reduced severe maternal morbidity in the United States, and one might argue it is the source of it. Increases in maternal age, uh-huh, pre-pregnancy obesity, pre-existing chronic medical conditions, and cesarean delivery. What's cesarean delivery? It's medical intervention. And how many of those cesareans are necessary? Well, you know, some countries have uh, 3% cesarean rate and others have close to 50% cesarean rate. So pretty close to 80% of those cesareans are not necessary. Therefore, 80% of the complications are not necessary. This is a serious source of severe maternal morbidity. I know, I had that myself with my second child. The consequences of the increasing severe maternal morbidity prevalence are wide-ranging and include higher health service use, which, like, who cares? Higher health direct medical costs, who might care? Extended hospitalization, stays, and long-term rehabilitation. Whoa, wait a minute, whoa, they're glossing over that. Long-term rehabilitation, that means long-term disability for this mother. That means her inability to raise and take care of this child. This is huge. This is the biggest piece. It wouldn't be bad if we had increased medical costs and people got increased health for it, but no. Cost of having a kid with the medical system is going up, 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 and the outcomes are going down, 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 down. So giving birth used to be done at home. A time to take a second look at that. Now, also, I just want to draw your attention, the uh, World Bank and the World Health Organization have uh, given special attention to the United States for its exceptionally high maternal death rate. Yes, women are having their, hosp- their babies in hospitals and they are dying in large numbers. And the number of maternal deaths has increased five-fold, at least five-fold in the last 30 years. Now, Prenatal care has also increased, so we may not want to blame it on prenatal care. I personally would, but, you know, I don't want to strain your ability to believe here. But let's just say prenatal care, having your baby at the hospital, has in no way diminished maternal negative outcomes. So have this baby at home. And again, the cost and expense to a couple, when you take a young couple just starting out, um, the cost of having a baby at home is about 50 bucks, uh, honestly, a new set of sheets. The cost of having a baby in the hospital, if everything goes right, is only $12,000, enough to really set you back a bit. What else used to happen at home? I'm using the word home because now it's a house because these things don't happen there. People used to grow their food at home. Yes. If you didn't have a garden and you weren't growing your own vegetables, you were considered, well, a slackard, lazy, irresponsible, stupid, expect someone else to feed you? How dumb. Yes, people talk that way. This is now like just really two generations ago. I'm 57, so my parents didn't talk that way, but their parents did. 
It's like, you don't have a garden. You're not growing any food. How do you expect to eat? Well, so modern day, what are we doing? People are actually going to the grocery store. This is shocking. I find it shocking. And they expect to get food that's healthy. Uh-huh. And it's not happening, right? Why we know it's not happening? Well, first of all, people are getting sick. But second of all, we get all these labels popping up, you know? Uh, genetically modified, GMO-free, organic, grass-fed. What's up with this? What's up with this is when you don't grow your own food, the folks that do put poisons and chemicals in it. And this destroys and devastates your health. Devastates your health. And this is why growing food needs to come back to the home. So take your house, make it a home, grow food there. And a lot of you say, Dr. Daniels, I have an apartment, I'm in a city on the 20th floor, not happening. All right, fine. Sprout on the countertop. Yeah, sprout on the countertop. And guess what? Once you sprout and you see two leaves, put it in the window, it will green up, and then you will have your chlorophyll and quite a few more nutrients. So growing food is is absolutely essential. Uh, You know, back in the 90s, when I first got started with this, you know, 20-some-odd years ago, I would tell people to eat organic. I mean, I still do. But the truth of the matter is, the organic label just is not good enough. You've got to take the next step. You've got to start growing your food. Now you say, oh, Dr. Daniels, you're living in Panama. You don't know what we're going through. Okay. I lived in Syracuse, New York. Yes, it's cold in Syracuse, New York. Our growing season generously might be 90 days. In fact, if the seed packet says 90 days, you know it's probably not a good idea to plant it. And I was able to feed my family from May, June, July, and August from the garden. And we were vegan, so the only thing we had to go to the store for was uh, some quinoa and millet and a few nuts. We eaten nuts and oils back then. So... Grow your food at home. Very important. So how did I do it? How did I have three kids, active medical practice, and grow my food at home? I'll be honest with you. I was not a very good gardener. And a lot of times, me and the kids had to eat the weeds. But I found some pretty good weeds. You know, I found some callaloo, some lamb quarters. Yeah, it was pretty tasty. And we ate the dandelions. And then, uh, you know, a couple of years, I got some tomatoes out of the, out of the yard and some cucumbers and uh, collard greens. And so I planted a, a wide variety of things. Actually, one year I even got beets, which was really, I was very impressed with that. So grow your own food. And don't be embarrassed or humiliated that your first crop failed. My first seven crops failed. Actually, yeah, about that. I planted quite a few crops. And I would even plant more than one crop in a season. I just kept going at it. And, you know, eventually I got to where, uh, actually last year's crop would volunteer. <laughs> And then I would have not so much more work to do. But growing your own food, the value cannot be underestimated. Uh, This is a huge source of disease and suffering. Next is to preserve your food. People are counting on uh, stores and companies. You know, they buy cans, buy things in cans. They buy things in, in bags, things that are dehydrated by some all-knowing, vague food preparation, whatever, doesn't work. Food is being preserved. It's being preserved with deadly and dangerous chemicals. We're talking potassium sorbate and sodium benzoate. 
So what's wrong with sodium benzoate? Well, sodium benzoate has benzene. Yeah, a benzene ring attached. Everybody knows. I won't say everybody knows. But scientists have acknowledged, and there is a great deal of agreement, that benzene rings, anything with benzene rings, cause cancer. So here we are, happily drinking and guzzling down beverages preserved with sodium benzoate. Not good. Not good. Then, of course, there's potassium sorbate. So all of these things are not good for your health. And so preserving food, we need to go back to preserving food our own, which means, you know, salting your meat, drying your own food, whatever that looks like to you, or even canning. When I was a kid, we used to can. Oh, it was so much fun. You take the tomatoes, dip them in boiling water, peel the skins off of them, Mom would throw some salt in a jar. We'd squish them in a jar and squish them, fill up the jar. And then Mom would put them in this big vat and boil them and boil them and boil them. It was my job at the end. Everything was done. Of course, I helped along, but at the end, I would tap all the tops to make sure they had a good seal. If they didn't, we got to eat them, which was really good. So preserve your own food. Uh, and if you're not going to preserve your own food, guess what? Just don't eat it. Another thing it's easy to do, since we're so modern now, is most people have freezers. And um, when I had my kids, I actually threw the tomatoes in the freezer. I just did not have time to can them. I just could not bring myself to do that. It's just too much. I didn't have the time. I couldn't do it. So we froze collard greens. We froze tomatoes. We froze a lot of things. The other thing I did was uh, in my garden, uh, frost would come early in Syracuse. I'd pull up the tomato plants and hang them upside down. And sure enough, the um, tomatoes ripened. They uh, would ripen nice, deep red color and very tasty. And so we had tomatoes in the garden for, for two or three months, actually two months, two months after the season ended. So, you know, educate yourself about that. It can be done. I mean, if I can do a safe use New York, by golly, it's really, it's possible. Next thing is not done at home. People don't eat food at home. This sounds really dumb, right? It's like, Dr. Daniel, what's wrong with eating out? I eat out at a high-end restaurant. I, you know, whatever excuse you want to make. It turns out that eating out is different from eating at home. Like, when you're at home and you cook, what do you do when you get through cooking? Answer, you eat immediately. You eat immediately. So, what happens in a restaurant? Well, it's a restaurant. So, if the food is done, what do they do? They hold it at some temperature, who knows what, until somebody comes along and buys it. And even at your higher-end restaurants, a lot of them have the food that's prepped, you know, it's sliced, diced, julienne, whatever, and it's deteriorating, exposed to air and oxidizing as it's all cut up and waiting for you to show up and place your order. So eating at a restaurant can never, ever be as healthy as eating at home. And I, just giving them the benefit of the doubt, I'm assuming that your restaurant has organic food, that your restaurant has no preservatives or chemicals, that your restaurant is not microwaving your food just before they bring it out so it's nice and hot for you. So eating food at restaurants is a definite serious no-no. Take it back to the house and make your house a home. Next thing, clothes. This is huge. I had no idea until I researched this. I actually did a whole show on clothes. But uh, clothes that you buy commercially are laced with chemicals. So make those clothes at home. 
Yes, you won't have as many clothes. That's true. I know because when I was a kid, I sewed my own clothes. I was extremely proud. Um, every year in the fall when school started, I had my clothes made. Now, I had to buy socks and underwear because I didn't figure out how to knit socks. And to this day, I can't turn a heel. But um, I made my own clothes. And so, of course, I didn't have <laughs> many clothes because I sat down and figured it out. Well, all I needed was six outfits. One for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And then I had a little extra one in case something went wrong. You know, maybe, I don't know, something got spill on it or something. We couldn't do the proper rotation. And so what happened? I wore the same thing every Monday, same thing every Tuesday, same thing every Wednesday, same thing every Thursday, same thing every Friday. There were kids at school who told me that they knew what day it was by what I was wearing. But I was very proud that I sewed my clothes. And even though Mom and Dad had six kids, I was not a financial burden to them. At least in my mind, that's the way I thought it, about it. Now, what I would do is I'd go into my mother's closet where she had all the fabric, pick out something I liked, and ask her, could I please use it? And then I would sew a blouse or a skirt or a dress. And one year, I even sewed a coat. I was really proud that year. But make your clothes at home. Honestly. And it's not that big a deal. Corner of the dining room, uh, corner of the bedroom, whatever. It's really worth it. Uh, definitely something to bring back uh, to the house. Next, jewelry. I actually put this in there because I made, it, made some jewelry on a, on a uh, little emergency I had. But make jewelry, whatever it is you need. Um, remember I was practicing medicine and I uh, was working late that, that night, but I still had to go to this dinner and the kids would beg me, could they please go? If I told them, okay, all you kids, you can come. And so I got home late around 6 got all the kids dressed, inspected everyone, and my daughter was wearing this green, lime green dress with a fuchsia decal on it. And she was telling me she needed a necklace. And so, of course, uh, I read in a book somewhere that you could paint paper with shellac, cut long skinny triangles, roll them up, and it would make beads. So, I uh, got a black and pink flyer, painted with some shellac, rolled up and made some beads. Beck had her help. She rolled some beads too. And got some thread, and we had a gorgeous fuchsia and black necklace to match her dress. No trip to the store or detour, and we were on time for the dinner, and a good time was had by all. But little things like this. It, it's amazing how it totally takes the stress out of your life. The kid doesn't have a fit kids involved in making a piece of jewelry and, you know, we're ready to go. She even got compliments on people. Oh my God, the gorgeous necklace matches your dress so well. Of course, I didn't, uh, the book I read didn't say how to make a clasp, so I had to tie a knot in the uh, string with a thread and it, we got home that night, we had to uh, cut it. <laughs> but it was a great, uh, great necklace and worked out really well. Next thing you want to do at home is don't make tools. It sounds trivial, but when you don't make your own tools, the tools you have are, are flimsy, they break, and it, it's difficult to use them. And I didn't even understand that you could make a tool until uh, you know I got married and my husband started making some. I said, what are you making? So I'm making a tool. I said, you're making a tool? He said, yeah. I didn't know. I thought you bought those things. Um, but if you make tools, the tools that you'll make 
will end up being a lot sturdier, they'll last a lot longer, and obviously you don't have the expense. Then cutting wood. Now this sounds like Dr. Dance, what do you mean we should cut wood at home? You know, a huge problem nowadays is that modern homes are made with plastics and with composite wood board that outgas and literally poison the occupants. If people knew how to cut wood, they could either recycle scrap, they could um, you know, cut wood that's in the backyard, and they could make things out of wood instead of being poisoned with all these outgassing things. Next thing that should be done at home is cutting metal. I tell you, I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen it myself. So I'm talking to my husband, and he says, well, we've got to make a shell. I said, well, uh, okay. Oh, my God, he buys an L bracket, takes the L bracket, and he's got this saw, and zip, it's cut. Like, oh, my God, it's cut. He says, well, now we need to put a hole in it. I said, oh, my God, a hole in it? So then, we got holes in it. Oh, my gosh, we've got this thing just the right size. Now we've got a hole in it. And he says, well, you know what, we have to uh, put this together with another piece of metal. I said, oh my God, what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to weld it. I said, no. Golly geez, if he didn't whip out a torch, put on a little, the little hats they wear, and he welded it together. I couldn't believe it. And all that, like, just right there outside the back door. But these are things people can do at home. You don't have to run around to the uh, hardware store looking for this, looking for that, looking for the right size, getting frustrated and upset when you don't have it, and spending a ton of money. And what does this mean for your health? Well, it means that now you have more time and more money to spend at home. Healing. In a home that doesn't have a bunch of poisonous things that are going to outgas and do you in. Next thing is to repair the home. Huge, big deal, being able to repair your own home. Because now you don't have to go through the frustration of getting three estimates of taking it, picking one, all of which are exorbitant, and then not being happy with the final job when it's done. So repairing your own home, really an important thing to do. And then building another home. So Dr. Daniels, building another home? Why, it's overwhelming. No, 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 no. I'm talking about a 500-square-foot home, building another home. What do you do with this home? When the kids get to be 14, that's where they go, one at a time. Build a 500-square-foot home for each one. And you can tell them, this home's a gift for you. I know you're going to lose it, but at least the second one you'll be able to hold on to. And it'll be a great uh, family activity, teaching the kids how to build a home. And it lowers your stress. You don't need to deal with the trials and tribulations of adolescence. And plus, the kids will have a sense of value. And I wish I had done this. You know, at nine years old, started the kids building a home. And at 14, like, hey, here's your keys. Go for it. Uh, building another home. So that's one use for it. What's the other use? A lot of times, people buy something called fire insurance for their home. In the old days, they didn't have fire insurance. They just had a little um, granny cottage out back. And so if the first house caught on fire, they would just move into the second house while they repaired and rebuilt the first house. Very simple. A lot less arson, too. So building another home. So that's just a little cottage. You might even think of it as a shed uh, not too far from the first home. Next, teaching children. This is absolutely huge. 
which is a huge piece of healing here. Because when you don't teach your children, what happens? First thing is, the schools recommend that you immunize them, which is a devastating thing. And we hear a lot about autism and vaccines, and now there's proof that autism is related to vaccines. But wait, but wait, what about the kids that don't get autism? What about the kids that just get well, vaccinated and survive it? Well, now we find out that that's where our nut allergies and our fish allergies are coming from. It's ingredients in the vaccines that create allergies in the kids. And so what you have when you vaccinate this kid, so you can send them to school, is you have a child literally with chronic disease. You have created a chronically ill human being that you are responsible for taking care of. This is an overwhelming burden to place on yourself and, of course, your child. So that's when we, in the vaccines, the package inserts are very clear, that they cause autoimmune disease, they cause long-term problems, they cause cancer. It's right there. I don't have to make it up. We don't need any super sleuth alternative health researchers to find it. Just Google your favorite vaccine, package insert, boom, there it is. And you don't want patient information. No, 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 you want package insert. So what else is wrong with, with teaching your children outside the home? Huge problem. Many people are upset at this adolescent rebellious stuff that kids get into from age uh, 13 to 17 or 18. Why? Well... When you teach a child, the first thing you teach a child is loyalty and obedience. The folks in school are teaching your child loyalty and obedience to them, not you. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And so having other people teach your children creates a situation where uh, it tears a family apart and creates incredible stress. Now, the next thing is, <laughs> I don't care who you are, I don't care how low or minimal you think your education is. You have a lot to teach your children. And I can personally tell you that um, I felt that I had nothing to teach my children. I felt that I was totally unqualified to teach them, but I couldn't send them to school because the school was too intrusive. I would not have been able to have the control over my life that I needed in order to be a reliable physician. So I homeschooled. But I didn't realize what I was teaching them. So now they've grown. They're all uh, 20-something. Well, they learned how to cook. They learned how to cook healthy. They learned yoga. They learned all kinds of things just by being home and going places with me. And so your children, just by being home, just by being around you, they're going to learn how to cook the dishes that you cook at home, whatever they might be, They're going to learn how to handle uh, problems, things that you don't even think are problems, like maybe how to sew a button on. But they're going to pick up all this stuff, and they're going to be able to function and make a huge contribution. For example, when I uh, was raising my kids, I just just seemed obvious to me the kid needed to feed himself. So, of course, teach him how to cook. And, you know, went over that, you know, learn to cook at home, don't eat out, all this stuff. Well, now, you know, I have one child who's actually perceived to be an expert by her peers in healthy cooking, and she's setting about building a career out of it. So just having your children learn to do 
the things that you know how to do, even though you might think that they're not very important. It could lead to a whole career for your child because the things that you teach your child may be things that, due to censorship and other cultural practices, may not be uh, readily available and may be perceived as specialized and very valuable knowledge. So definitely uh, teach your children at home. I would strongly recommend homeschooling. Uh, what's going on in schools nowadays, it just amounts to um, psychological warfare against the children. And again, in terms of turning your house into a home, uh, you don't want unhealthy children and children who are uh, unable to uh, care for themselves responsibly. Next is making money. This is huge. I have had so many people tell me that their house is an economic burden that you know making the house payments is challenging or um, it's something that they have to plan for and that the, they should have bought less of a house because now they're house poor their house is so big it's making them poor well there's a time when your house made you money and I don't mean um, taking out a home equity loan that's not making you money uh, people used to farm at home they used to sew at home they used to create and make things at home, things that they would sell and that they would make money. And so the house became a source of income. When a person was home, they, they were asked, oh, I need more money. Let me make one of those widgets that I know I can sell. And so this is a whole new way of thinking about, uh, about your home. And it's one that would eliminate your, your morning and evening commute and give you more time. Now, another thing that we used to do at home is celebrate birthdays. Yes, I was very big on this. When I was a kid, uh, a birthday, if someone had a birthday, I was in charge of baking the cake. So I would bake the cake, we'd put the candles in, this is after dinner, and we'd sing happy birthday, and the birthday person would blow out the cake and everyone get a slice of cake and a piece of ice cream. And that was our birthday. That was it. And everyone was very, very happy with this. And I made everybody's cake. Every year I made all the cakes. And people would even put in a request. And uh, when I started out, I would do, uh, you know, regular uh, yellow cakes, I guess they were called. And, of course, I upgraded to pound cakes. People requested pound cakes. Uh, lemon pound cakes, as a matter of fact. But celebrating birthdays at home. Now... To celebrate a birthday, you go to uh, Chuck E. Cheese or you go to McDonald's. This is absolutely devastating for everybody's health. Uh, you know, taking the kids out uh, to eat plastic is, is, is not good for them. And again, eating out, as we talked about, just because of the nature of it, is, is not healthy. Because when you go to a restaurant, they have got to do certain things in order to be able to efficiently produce food on demand. And those things interfere with the health of the food. Um, to say nothing of the fact that what you're buying often is not uh, organic, uh, might be genetically modified, and so on. So celebrating birthdays at home is something that contributes to the economic strength of the home. It contributes to the love and harmony in the home because people are very appreciative. Oh my gosh, this cake was made by my brother or my sister or my mother. 
And so it increases the appreciation factor. Yes, I know, I know. Many of you go to the big box stores and you order your cake a week in advance and you go and you pick up the beautiful cake. But don't be deceived. The chemicals uh, thereof are uh, devastating to your health and the health of your loved one. It's not worth it. Okay, you don't want to bake a cake? No problem. Teach the kids how to bake a cake and then, of course, give them what they really want, which is lots of praise and appreciation. So that's, uh, that's important. Next, the big one, elephant in the room. <laughs> uh, is healing at home. Yes, this is huge, 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 huge. Uh, I know a lot of you say, oh, you know, Dr. Daniels, I'm just a person. I didn't go to medical school. I don't know about all these drugs. How could I possibly heal myself at home? Let me tell you, you can do it. One example here, excellent example, is this is from uh, medscape.com forward slash view article forward slash 835085 semicolon. Okay. Actually, I think there's no semicolon, sorry. More ineffective therapy. This is from Chicago. A new trial shows no benefit of low-dose once-a-day aspirin in the primary prevention of cardiovascular events in patients with multiple risk factors, including hypertension, diabetes, and dyslipidemia, also known as elevated cholesterol. Okay, so you guys have heard about an aspirin a day, an aspirin a day, an aspirin a day. And now this new trial shows no benefit for people who have not yet had a heart attack. No benefit was seen for the composite endpoint of non-fatal heart attack, non-fatal stroke, or death from cardiovascular causes. It didn't prevent anyone from dying. There were significant reductions in heart attack and in transient ischemic attacks, I mean little strokes that were temporary, but a significant increase in serious extracranial hemorrhage, that means bleeding outside of the brain, meant the net benefit was questionable. Now, when the medical industrial complex questions the benefit, uh, you know, pay attention. The overall rate of events was much lower than anticipated in this study and it did not reach statistical significance. In other words, there were fewer overall heart attacks and strokes, but statistically one couldn't say it was any different from no change at all. The study co-author in Japan said, therefore, the possibility that aspirin does have a beneficial effect in this population cannot be excluded. So we know it doesn't help. We're pretty sure it doesn't help. But there's a possibility very small that aspirin does have a beneficial effect, uh, and that possibility cannot be excluded, although it has not been proven. Still, the clinical importance of aspirin for primary prevention was less than originally anticipated in this population, he concluded. What does this mean? This means that your doctors have been prescribing an aspirin a day, which has multiple harmful effects and little or no benefit. Now, you can certainly do better than that. I would dare say, if you tried a natural remedy two or three times and it didn't work, you would probably say, you know what? I'm not going to do that again. I don't think it works. You wouldn't say, I have to stick to the standard of care or I'll lose my license. No, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say, well, I've got to provide this therapy in order to get enough billings to pay the receptionist. No, you wouldn't say that. 
because you're just healing at home. All you're trying to do is get a family member better or get yourself better. So what this means then is you're immediately going to be doing a lot better than what modern medicine is doing. You will quickly and immediately dismiss things that are not working, and you will save goo gads, big bucks, lots of money. So healing at home means no health insurance premium, no making doctor's appointments, no driving to the doctor's office, no looking for a parking space, paying for a parking space, waiting in the waiting room, and waiting in the waiting room, and then seeing the doctor, and then being scared to death about something that maybe really is nothing, and then getting a prescription, which might be deadly, and then going to the drug store and filling it, and then going home and taking it and getting side effects. Very, very, very simple. So, um, healing at home is a definite must. What about dying at home? Yeah, dying at home. Oh my God, Dr. Daniels, how how morbid. You know, dying at home. Ew. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Before you jump to the conclusions here. If you die at home, then you bypass the time to donate organ scam. At least the person's really going to be dead. You're not going to be declaring someone dead when they're really alive. And so you can expect, if you allow people to die at home, a much higher survival rate because you don't have the moral hazard of the hospital trolling for organs. Now, the other thing you avoid when people die at home is you don't have the emotionally devastating ordeal or the torture of those uh, end days ritual. And even more importantly, when the person dies, you don't have to sell the house to pay their bills. Or I should say, you don't have to sell your home to pay your bills. Because if you're dying at home, that definitely qualifies it as a home. We're ready to take questions in a few minutes here. A couple more things to uh, cover. The next thing that's no longer done at home is gathering your own water. Now, this is really, really easy. But if you have a, a roof, most will have a roof. And you just uh, have the gutters and you let the water run off the gutters, go through a, a filter or a stocking or whatever, which you change from time to time. And then you take the water. Now, from there, there are various kinds of purification processes. You can look them up, whatever. But it's definitely worth doing. Now, many places have a law saying you may not gather rainwater. Um, you know, you might want to look into changing your local laws or wondering why it's a law at all. You know, why do that? Well, obviously, this water that falls from the sky is free of chlorination, no chlorine, and no fluoride. Now, those of you who are concerned about chemtrails, you know that that junk in the chemtrails turns solid. And so it can it will be filtered out uh, of a filter. So definitely, obviously, subject the water to a filtration process. And so right now, none of these things happen in the average home. Not at all. I mean, if you take a walk through the average home, just, just take a stroll through the house, 
what you'll see, you will say, oh, yes. Here is a living room, beautifully furnished. All these things are on the credit card, and we're paying for those. Instead of, here's a living room furnished with this thing that I made, this chair that I made, the sofa that we made together. And so you look at this room in the house with furniture, and there's, there's no people-related memories, just uh, a bill. You look at the kitchen, newly renovated kitchen. It's a kitchen renovation from $30,000. I was surprised to find that out, but oh well. And then you think of how you refinance the home to pay for $30,000 kitchen renovation, how gorgeous it looks and how nobody's there because he works, she works, and the kids go to school. And so when you walk from room to room to room in a modern home, there's not a recounting of memories and activities. So that's a huge difference. That's when you know that you're definitely living in a house. In contrast that, when you turn your house into a home, it's a place where you conceive, a place where you give birth, a place where you grow your own food, preserve your own food, cook and prepare food, eat food, make clothes, make jewelry, make tools, cut wood, cut metal, better yet, build another home. You can repair the home, teach your children, actually make money at home, celebrate birthdays, heal at home, even get married at home. These are the things that make a house a home. And no, maybe you can't do all of these things, but definitely it's worthwhile doing a few. And um, as many as you possibly can, because it makes a huge, huge difference in your health when you have control over your food supply and when you have control over what your house is made out of. When your house is not made out of toxic materials because, well, you made it yourself. And so this is what needs to happen is we need to take our houses and we need to make them into homes. And once your house becomes a home, it is healthier. There's a lot less stress. You don't have to plan your errands in a loop to save gas because you're not, you know, you're not constantly leaving, leaving the house for every little need that you have. I mean, you'll leave the house for entertainment. In the old days, we used to, you know, play a musical instrument or uh, play board games. They entertain themselves. So you don't leave the house for entertainment. You don't have to leave the house for work. Leave the house to heal. Um, all of these things happen in the home. You don't have to leave the house to, to um, get food. And so when your house becomes a home, and the time it takes to go to the store, you've already created what you need without the frustration of having someone else do it in a way that you don't like. And so the reduction of time and resources is, is monumental. And the impact on your peace of mind and health is, well, impressive. So consider this and consider uh, the absence of stress and all the time that you'll have to get in those three boundaries today. So we have tons of questions 
here in the chat room. So let me uh answer these questions. If I don't copy and paste them, then uh, they scroll up and they go away. So I have to do that. All right. Oh, by the way, next week's topic is, would you be safer if murder were legal? So murder in the United States is most certainly legal, and tomorrow and next week I will reveal the many faces of murder and how present laws facilitate murder, and also tips on how to avoid this trap. And, of course, tune in, uh, think happens. So back to today's questions. Okay. My sister once conceived after the test. We think the test alone cleared off the fallopian tubes. Yes, that's right. It's called a hysterosalpingogram, uh, generally the first of many invasive tests. And so uh, dye is squirted up into the fallopian tubes. Think out some water soluble dye and doesn't um, clog up. And yes, it's possible that it could have cleared out the tubes and made the pregnancy possible. Okay, does rehabilitation imply disability to the AMA? The answer is. The marketers are writing this. And so the marketers want to bring people's attention to the fact that ladies who are pregnant are requiring long-term rehabilitation and not focusing on the fact that these women are uh, disabled and unable to care for their children and unable to function uh, in a positive way within their household and make a you know, meaningful contribution to the family. And these disabilities are just rampant among women who seek medical attention for their pregnancies. And so this may be something where I believe that the word will spread and more and more women will be avoiding the hospital for their pregnancies. Okay. Um, the last Great Depression was mostly survived because people came together and grew their own food. What would you recommend people to do around this concept? Okay. So the last Great Depression, uh, many people are in a depression now and they, and they have not emerged from it. And so the economic situation in the United States, as I understand it, is that many people have economically been hit very hard and just simply have not recovered. And so for those people, they are still in a depression. You know, it hasn't really helped, you know, whatever is being done up there. So I would say anyone who's having the least bit of trouble uh, satisfying their food needs, definitely, you know, get on it. Start growing your own food, even if it's just sprouting on your countertop. And then you know, link up with other people and consider getting a uh, a box of dirt if all you have is cement, then get boxes and grow things in boxes. You can grow all the leafy vegetables in boxes. You can grow, um, you know, kale, collards, spinach, lettuces, all of those can grow in boxes. So it's definitely time for people to do that. Um, to say that we are not in a depression and even if not economic depression, certainly a food depression, 
um, the quality of food available for sale in the United States is frighteningly poor. And, um, you know, many people are waiting for something to hit the fan or the other shoe to fall. I would like to suggest that the other shoe fell a long time ago. And as far as waiting for anything to hit the fan, that happened a long time ago, too. So now is definitely um, the time. I don't think people can afford to um, wait for some company to honor the organic label or that they can wait for a responsible interpretation of uh, grass-fed. I think that people need to take matters into their own hands and take personal responsibility for their own food supply. It's almost impossible to take responsibility for your health when you're not able to take responsibility for your food. So that's really important. And what we can't <laughs> Okay. Uh, so um, another question in the chat room is, um, would the clothes you sew be of much better uh, quality since you're buying your fabric from the store? Um, the answer is yes, because you have more control over the fabric that you buy. You can buy sturdier fabric, or you can do what my grandmother did. My grandmother took old clothes that were sturdy, cut up that material, and that's what she used to um, sew clothes out of. And so literally, she would take the material from clothes um, that was still sturdy and cut it out, and that was, that's what she used to make new outfits out of. Okay. And what about making Christmas decorations? I think that's a good idea, an outstanding idea. Uh, again, when you make your own decorations, you're not going to be making them out of toxic, poisonous material. If you're sitting around making Christmas decorations and everyone's coughing and gasping because of the fumes, someone's going to say, you know what, maybe we shouldn't be making Christmas decorations out of this stuff. And so it's really, um, it's an excellent idea to make your own Christmas decorations. And the other thing, of course, that happens is you can recycle them year after year. Okay. Ah, is there a better kind of castor oil to look for? I wonder if the little $6 bottle I get from a drugstore is really effective. Some people talk about Jamaican black castor oil. Okay. The bottle you get from the drugstore probably has hexane, H-E-X-A-N-E, hexane in it. Hexane is a cancer-causing chemical. And so I recommend that people get their castor oil from the health food store. And there's a place um, called the Heritage Store that supplies most of the um, hexane-free castor oil in the United States. And so when you buy your castor oil, it should, it should say on the bottle, hexane-free, and minimum, it should not list hexane as an ingredient. So that's a real, real problem. Is a lot of people who are trying to be healthy, they'll buy this healthy stuff only to find that it's been poisoned. I am not familiar with Jamaican black castor oil. Um, I am familiar with the slightly yellow castor oil. Okay, I'd also like to mention um, or encourage people to go visit drjenniferdaniels.com. That's drjenniferdaniels.com. Our Black Friday sale has started early. And so incredible deep cuts and reductions in the price of Vitality Capsules. And Discovery Sessions are free. Yes, they are free. 
Not everyone who applies will get one, but um, go ahead and apply, and we'll check it out. And um, if you're lucky, you'll get a discovery session, a chance for me to take a look at what's happening, uh, give you some pointers, and see if it might be uh, a good match for us to work together over a longer period of time. And I'm going to take one more check through the, the um, chat room for questions. <laughs> okay. All right. So somebody said, if you waterboard your tomato plants, they will ripen too. No, they will not. And pulling up your tomato plants and turning them upside down really does help them ripen. I know I did it myself. Many years, I've just uh, picked those green tomatoes, and that's it. They never did turn red. But I was surprised when I turned the plant upside down. They did ripen. They did turn red. Now there was a problem that they fell. First year I did it, the tomatoes would get ripe, and they'd fall off the plant and splat onto the ground. So the second year I did it, I got wise. I turned the plant upside down and put it in a paper bag upside down, and they ripened, and we didn't have any go splat, and we had many more tomatoes the, uh, the following year. But again, just to say what you can do when you have a short growing season, um, there's all kinds of uh, workarounds. My first several tries at it, uh, like I said, I, I, didn't, I did not do well at all. Okay, so that's pretty much the end of our show. So remind people that uh, next week is Would You Be Safer If Murder Were Legal? And just to let you know, uh, I think you would be. And so we'll see you next week.